0: Welcome to Neighborly, Hide and Seek, House Number 18, Little Street. still playing, right? Come on, Eddie. You're it. Eddie fumbles with the walkie at his waist. Hello? Hello? Where are you? It isn't funny anymore. You've got to- The walkie goes dead. Oh, dear. Eddie is too tired to sob. He's been seeking so long. Poor thing. His hair touches his collar now, and that's ignoring the mats that have taken up residence at the base of his skull. The rooms in this place, the corridors, they keep drifting through his fingers like tangled threads. I don't know if he even remembers where he started. Not that a little thing like that will stop him. He's got siblings to find and a game to win. He doesn't need to be bothered with a little thing like details. I, however, will be happy to fill you in. Mr. and Mrs. Franklin had bought number 18 Little Street almost on a whim. It would be a fun fixture up of a project, said Mr. Franklin, who wanted something to do instead of just the dishes. It would be cheap, said Mrs. Franklin, who hadn't had that much of a raise at work. And besides, they agreed, it would be good for the children not to have to share a bedroom anymore, and they were right. They'd managed very well in their little two and a half bed for an honestly impressive collection of years, squishing Flora in what used to be Mr. Franklin's home office and making bathroom charts to try and minimize arguments. But five children was really a few too many for a three bedroom house. Their inquiries into the nearest school's ability to properly care for neurodivergent students bore promising fruit in the form of Mr. Irving, a head teacher with an overly toothed smile who promised that they'd take on all sorts. Making accommodations for specific learning difficulties such as DCD is hardly going to be a stretch. And so the decision was done. The day of the move arrived, and the moving vans descended like a swarm of sick locusts, vomiting up tables and beds and toys onto the pavement, and Mr. and Mrs. Franklin turned to the children with stern faces and five radio headsets. "'Remember to keep your walkies on. This house isn't huge, but that doesn't mean that you can't get lost,' said Mrs. Franklin." Eddie, of course, rolled his eyes and went all pouty in typical teen embarrassment. He was too old for this nonsense. Since when were walkie-talkies more normal than a mobile phone? Just because the triplets had fallen into a weird safari phase and kept pretending to be explorers didn't mean the rest of them should have to put up with it. Oh, Eddie. It's fun to explore, especially in a new house. Even more especially in a new house with so much character. Flora had the right attitude. As the middlest child, Flora was just old enough to think she knows best, and just young enough to still believe in magic. A house like this, all twisted up in its weird neighbour, it's perfect for an eleven-year-old who has just reached her mid-tweens Shakespearean and Edgar Allan Poe phase. The triplets, as you might surmise, loved it. They'd had some tantrums before the move, of course. But they'd all done that, even Eddie, and he's 14 and, according to him, not even a kid anymore. I think Eddie just missed his friends, but I suppose that's speculation, and boring, at that. The triplets' initial apprehension was a little more usual. You see, it wasn't that they didn't like the idea of a new house. They were big and brave, and it's terrible when people treat them like babies. But they haven't spent a night apart in all eight years of their lives. They're not sure they're quite ready for that yet. Eddie called them stupid when they said they didn't want separate rooms. Eddie could be awful sometimes. Mr. Franklin said that was just because he's trying to get used to being an adult. But he's not really an adult, so you can't expect him to behave like one all the time. He made him apologize all the same. The triplets thought maybe Eddie was the one who's stupid. When they had arrived that morning, they'd seen more kinds of birds than they'd ever seen before, and their dad said that one was a falcon, and that was awesome. Eddie did not have time to dwell on his walkie-talkie woes for long, though. Flora, as ever, had been so excited that she nearly dropped hers, and barely waited for each of them to tuck them away somewhere safe before grabbing Eddie's hand and pulling. "'Come on, come on, come on, come on!' she said, feet thud-thud-thudding on the russet varnish of the stairs. She almost slipped at the first twist in the stairs, socks skidding out from under her. Jesus, Flora, be careful! Eddie caught her. He'd been catching her ever since she was little, falling off monkey bars and bikes and balance boards. He hated to think of what might happen if ever he wasn't there to catch her. Flora pouted. She was very good at pouting. She would bat her big brown eyes and sigh so deeply you'd think she'd inhaled the world. But Eddie had always been immune to her charm. So were the triplets, who barely seemed to notice what had happened, and instead shoved past the older kids' legs with a cry of, "'Last one upstairs is an a-hole!' Eddie groaned. "'You're eight. Do you even know what that means? Get better insults!' he called after them, but too late. They were long gone. "'You good?' Flora nodded, then turned her heel and ran after them. Eddie took his time to follow. He poked his head into every room he passed. After all, he was the oldest.' That meant he gets first dibs on bedrooms, and arrived at the conclusion that his house was... weird. You'd think a house would be laid out to have proper floors, but no. He'd seen enough of the floor plan to know that they were all but incomprehensible, but he had thought it would be more obvious once they arrived. He was wrong. He was also faced with two flights of stairs, and no indication of which one would take him to his siblings. Fifty-fifty chance of getting it right, he thought. chance of looking like an idiot. He'd reached the point of squinting at the carpet as if it might contain the secrets of the universe, or at least his siblings' whereabouts, when... Eddie! Hurry up! It's hard to tell who's talking. Obviously one of the triplets. No one else had a voice that annoying. Eddie thought to himself that this wouldn't be out of place in one of the horror films he's not supposed to watch. Triplets are creepy. Which way did you go? Also, you're meant to say over when you're done. Over. His question was met only with silence. Alright then. 50-50 chance. Pretty good odds. So he goes left. Eddie likes left. Left is good. The others were huddled around the bottom of the trapdoor to the attic when he reached the top of the stairs. The fact that none of them had hit five foot yet had proved to be an insurmountable challenge. I imagine they just wanted him to hurry up for the extra inches of height he has on them. Eddie had a groat spurt about four months ago, and now he towers over the rest of his class. At least, he used to. He hasn't met his new classmates. I hope they're friendly. Not that it matters for Eddie anymore. Eddie didn't expect the hatch to open quite so quickly when he jumped for it. It took a moment to readjust himself, to brush the dust from his hair, and then he looked up. The attic door yawned open. The rope ladder hung down like a tongue. Something about it made Eddie shudder. ''Bagsy first one up!'' said Flora, who was politely pretending not to notice her older brother's discomfort. Eddie didn't have time to stop her. She had started her wobbly ascent too quickly, and in the blink of an eye she was gone. ''Flora?'' ''I'm fine!'' ''Oh, there's a light switch, One second. The light through the opening was thin and patchy like someone stepped on a string of Christmas lights and then never quite remembered to replace the crushed bulbs. Not a great start. And while the triplets never went anywhere without a torch, getting any one of them to loan theirs to Flora, or, God forbid, himself, would be a struggle that, frankly, Eddie had neither the patience nor inclination to put up with. Then the attic shrieked. Now, sweet listener, I don't want you to worry about Flora. Flora. She's fine, or was fine, at least for now. She was just a little startled as all. You would be too if a bird brushed past your face so closely you could feel its claws catching a hair or two. She didn't get a good look beyond the sight of it dipping through a gap in the plaster, so she didn't know that it seemed oddly pleased to have snagged those strands away from her. Now, I don't know what you would expect to find in the attic of a house that's been sat empty for almost a year, but I can assure you it would not be this. In all that time, the has stubbornly refused to gather dust. The carpet remains plush, the floorboards are strong and don't even creak beneath her weight. A good thing, too, for the whole space is covered with games. Old games, new games, boards and cards, all as pristine as if they had just been made even the little plastic cherries from the copy of hi ho cherio backdated to 1960 are as luminously scarlet as they would have been more than half a century ago whoa this is cool flora jumped as the last triplet wriggled through the hatch when had she moved so far into the room beneath her hand sat a beautiful table neatly labeled talua or backgammon 1612 in slender script She snatched her hand back as she realised just how close she had come to tracing the geometric inlays of something that was probably more valuable than anything she'd ever been left in a room with, a flush rising to her cheeks. She wouldn't want to break it. Eddie took slightly too long to pick his jaw off the floor to avoid the awkward silence that stretched out between the five of them. This is insane! This can't be here! I'm calling mum, she'll know what to do. God, this must be worth thousands. It's just sitting here? What the hell? The triplets, of course, had no time for his crisis. Why would they? This was a mystery, to be sure. Which meant clues. Which meant they got to be detective-explorer geniuses, leaving no stone unturned in their quest for truth. Or just hanging around until someone made a good guess. Or until it got boring. They moved methodically, slipping deeper into the forest of tables as inconspicuously as possible. Eddie would have probably tried to stop them. He was always acting like some sort of authority figure just because he happened to be the oldest. Teens really can be so pretentious. I suppose you could argue that Eddie's willingness to interact with real adults is a mark of maturity. Or you could argue that he's a little snitch. I suppose it's up to you to use your critical thinking skills to figure out which it is. I think he's just a stressed young boy. He certainly looked it. The way he stood there frantically pressing buttons on his little radio in desperation to get through to Mr. and Mrs. Franklin. He barely even looked up at the muffled crow of excitement from one of the triplets, or the loud shh that came from another. He didn't even notice when Flora snuck off to join them until her siren song whine of- Eddie! Sounded out against the static. What? came his mocking reply. There's another trapdoor! This was the moment that Eddie gave up on trying to be mature and logical and simply accepted that whatever this was, it was simply how life was going to be from now on. All that was left to do was to figure out a way through it. Sure, that's great, because why wouldn't you have two entrances to the weirdest playroom ever? It did not take long to find the second trapdoor. It was set at the very back of the house, as far from the only window and from its partner as it was possible to be. As the trapdoor came into view, two things became apparent in swift succession. First, that the triplets were gone, and second, that they had not gone carefully. Flora was halfway through the hatch, evidently impatient to go onwards, and around her was an open box and a flurry of paper scraps. The triplets wanted to play hide-and-seek, You're it, and they told me to tell you that if you don't wait five minutes before you start sneaking, they will pour apple juice in your sleeping bag. And she was gone. Eddie closed his eyes and counted to ten. It was that or scream, and he didn't want to do that. He was the mature one, after all. When he opened them, he turned his attention to the chaos his siblings had left in their wake and began to sort through it. Oh dear, oh Eddie. I do wish he weren't in such a hurry to grow up. It's important to take the time to play while you still can. It's not as if anyone ever realizes that the last time they play is going to be their last time. It happens quietly. I can picture it now. Suddenly, Eddie wants to impress one of the cool kids at his new school, or maybe he impresses them a little too much. And now all Eddie wants to do is hold her hand. Maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe Eddie just gets older and other things take up his attention. Maybe it's homework. Maybe it's a new hobby. Maybe one day he wakes up and he's 47 and he realizes that he can't remember the last time he ran amok with his siblings. Eddie turned over the box and read the words inscribed upon its lid. A non-comprehensive list of games that can be played within the domicile without the need for specialist equipment. He snorted. At least this place was consistent. That kind of pretentious nonsense was exactly what he would expect from a room like this. It is here that I would like to leave Eddie. Just for a moment, of course. It's just that I have information that Eddie does not as he searches for his darling siblings. Eddie is still in the dark. But you don't have to be. Who would you like to hear about first, I think we'll start with Flora. Now, Flora, as I'm sure you've noticed, is rather clumsy. So much so that when Flora thinks someone might be watching, she holds herself taut, keeps her actions slow and precise, tries not to move in any way that might make her a target. Children can be so Cruel. There's something freeing about the dark, about the quiet. She can just be. When she's alone, if her arms don't move to the pounding of her feet, at least no one will laugh. When she's alone, she can practice making herself light and graceful and strong. After all, if she falls, it's not as if it can possibly hurt her too badly, is it? While Eddie counted the minutes, Flora flit through the swallowing blackness at the back of the house and pretended not to feel the growing pit of fear in her stomach. She was a bright girl, and even someone dimmer than a dying firefly would eventually have to confess that there were too many corridors, too many staircases, and too many furnishings for that matter. Flora was so very brave, she told herself that it was fine. How else? Are you supposed to respond to the sudden shiver of certainty that something has gone very, very wrong? Where do you go when everything around you is strange and you can't remember how you got to where you are? It's awful being lost. She would simply retrace her steps, she decided, and just to prove she wasn't scared. She would distract herself and play a game. You know the one. You remember being a child and hopping from chair to table because if your feet touched the floor, something dreadful would happen. Something dreadful like, oh, I don't know, falling into lava? Of course you do. It's great fun. Perhaps you used to do what Flora did in that moment, gripping tight to banisters and wedging your feet between the spindles, inching along gap by gap. Perhaps you looked for something you could hold on to, something with some heft to it, something wide and sturdy enough to carry your weight. Perhaps you too reached a point where you realized that your closest island of safety was a little beyond your reach and had to improvise. Flora is very good at improvising. You see, in their old house, Flora had learned a trick. Flora learned that if she went barefoot so that her skin could grip the satin-silk finish of the paint, Flora was just the right size to hold herself off the ground by bracing each hand and each foot against either side of the average door frame. And what do you know? The door in front of her was open, and the frame was particularly deep. The perfect specimen. Flora knew that if she could reach it, then from there she could jump onto the waiting chest of drawers in the room beyond, and grab that ever-so-convenient floor cushion beside it to get back, and she'd be safe. But first, the socks had to go. She didn't look where they fell, why would she? She could always beg Mum for more socks, and it was hardly as if she'd be abandoning them outside the house, was it? I say, do you smell smoke? No, neither do I. But if Flora had paid a little more attention, I rather think she would. It seems that socks, much like little girls, are not on the list of things which are immune to lava. How unfortunate! Especially as when Flora stumbles this time, Eddie isn't there to catch her. On that note, we rejoin our stalwart hero. We're almost up to date now. I probably don't need to tell you about his dawning realisation that he had let his siblings go alone into the inky gloom of this creepy house with all of one torch between them. You can imagine the panicked thoughts that ran through his mind, the ones that said he was the oldest, that he had a duty of care, that he shouldn't have let this happen. Eddie wished he had just turned around and dragged his stupid siblings out of whatever hell was going on in the attic and gone to find mum and dad. But he hadn't. Perhaps if Eddie had been thinking more clearly, he would have gone downstairs. But he wasn't thinking clearly. Eddie loves his siblings, even if he hates them sometimes. And so instead of playing the adult, Eddie descended the ladder and played the game. You may be asking yourself what happened to the triplets. Flora won't be found, no matter how hard Eddie searches, but perhaps you hope that there is a chance, however slim, that there might still be a happy reunion. I'm afraid that's rather unlikely. The triplets have found their final resting place, too. Oh, come on now. I don't mean that they're dead. I really do mean resting. It took a little while for them to get there, The triplets moved in sync, mumbling things that weren't quite words to point out sharp corners here, missing stairs there, rejections of hiding spots that weren't quite right. As they go, the quiet seeped into their bones, settling in until it nestled in the marrow of them. I can't tell you how long this went on for. Number 18 has a basement, as many houses do, though this one is unfinished. There is a crawl space, just large enough for the three of them to shuffle under there's no telling who goes first. The three have fused into one entity, a hive mind driven by the need to go so deep into the foundations of this place that no one could ever find them. They have no desire for someone to disturb them in order to crown them as the champions they know they must be. They burrow down and deep, fists knocking ankles as they nudge each other further and further and further again until the darkness expands around them, bowing out into a pocket that holds the three of them safe and warm and secret. No hiding place could be more hidden. They lie hand in hand, cradled in a night that stretches into the infinities that lie between each of their hot, sticky breaths. And Eddie... Eddie seeks. That's his role in the game, after all. He will always seek. Eddie tried to use his walkie-talkie, but all that comes back is static. You don't need to hear the string of profanities that came out of his mouth when he dropped it, or when he realized that the batteries must have fallen out. The hours bled into each other as he hunted them back down and he tried not to notice how his nails were finally long enough to pry open the back. He's still seeking, and we have come full circle. Every so often he hears the crackle and pop that gives him hope. It keeps him playing. You know, some might call him lucky. He'll never have to grow up. He'll always have this last game. He'll... Oh. Hello. Hello. Sorry, I'm, I just noticed something. Number 18 has changed so many times to facilitate the children as they play that I almost missed the name marked on the door in front of Eddie. How clumsy of me. That door really does get everywhere, doesn't it? I suppose I was wrong about this endless game. Eddie still thinks he's playing. He opens every door he comes to just in case this time it's the right one. This most certainly is not the right door. And I don't think he'll be coming back. Goodbye, Eddie. Good luck. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written by A.L. Withington and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alec Schwartz and art by Claudia Appleart. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co, or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend. Because they might tell a friend. And they might tell a friend. And who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's Homeowners Association newsletter is talking about the benefits of keeping bird feeders in your gardens. You'll want at least four, it reads. One for each corner. It's only polite. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.